Welcome to The Conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Todd Curtis. What follows is an interview with longtime aviation reporter Glenn Farley of King 5 Television in Seattle. This took place on April 2, 2015, a little over a week after the crash of the German Wings A320 in France. This wasn't a live interview, but rather one that would be edited for later broadcast. Much of our interview focused around a page I launched several days after the German Wings event, which featured seven events where airliner pilots deliberately crashed an airliner, and an eighth event where an airliner pilot nearly succeeded in crashing an airliner. I presented the interview almost in its entirety to give you, the listener, an idea of what my typical interview sounds like. All right, let me let me let me start. We're rolling. So you you did an analysis. You found really eight cases of suicide and attempted suicide among pilots since 1982. That's correct. When you sat down there and you looked at it after this case involving German wings, was it like, was it surprising that there were that many or surprising that they weren't more? I was surprised there were that many. I, mean, I was going on my own uh, vague memory and I thought, gee, I think there were like three or four of these since uh, 80. Uh, but I looked at it, it's like, no, there are more than three or four. And one of them uh, almost slipped by me entirely because it happened in November of 2013. This was a Mozambican jet. And because it didn't get anything in the way of media attention that the recent one had, there was an investigation going on. In fact, the NTSB had looked at the uh, CVR and uh, flight data recorder. Uh, but the Mozambican government, in sharp contrast to the French and German government, wasn't exactly forthcoming in real time with the data. And the report, when it did come out, wasn't really definitive saying that the pilot did it. But the evidence uh, from... What, what I was able to gather was pretty overwhelming that it was a deliberate action. I mean, even if you look at Egypt Air, and I was uh, uh, looking at the uh, uh, the actual NTSB report the other day, the NTSB never actually says the word suicide. They just said it crashed into the ocean with pilot input. And that's sort of my attitude that I take, in part because a lot of the official reports don't necessarily say suicide or mass murder or anything like that. But if they say it's a deliberate action, that's good enough for me. So when I listed these, these were cases where the pilot deliberately flew the airplane into the ground or into the water. What's come out new with Andreas Lubitz uh, from the authorities, as you saw, was, was apparently this wasn't just a case where the guy was off and decided, you know what, screw it, I'm crashing right here, right now. This involves a degree of, apparently a substantial degree of premeditation. That's correct. And some of the premeditation would have been uh, searches on the Internet, which, again, by itself doesn't uh, count someone as guilty. But the preponderance of the evidence, and again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not going to play one on TV. But if the indirect evidence was not only was this apparently a deliberate action, but there are steps taken prior to the event where the person was looking up information that was strangely relevant to the deliberate action, it says to me that this was a premeditated act. So, so, so it, as you look over these eight, because there's another case there which was not a successful attempt, but the April 94 FedEx case, um, where it says, as you wrote here, Callaway had other weapons. This is the, the, the other officer, and we'll set this up. He said he had a spear gun, a hunting knife, and two other hammers on the aircraft. That seems to go to premeditation. Well, there was, uh, that was a fairly uh, well-researched case on the part of the authorities. Uh, because it wasn't an accident, you didn't have the standard NTSB report coming out from this. But again, there was substantial information from his trial and elsewhere that showed very clearly 
that this uh, flight engineer, who would have been the third person on a DC-10 crew, had he been able to be a part of the official crew, was planning on commandeering the aircraft by uh, knocking out or killing the other two pilots. It was only because he had flown a little bit too much on his previous flight and was not able to legally be a flight crew member that he was basically a passenger with three crew members to overtake rather than two. And perhaps that's the only reason that this wasn't number eight on my list in the sense well, of a successful crash. Let, let's back off. As, as I, when we talked on Monday, I was, uh, I was looking at this because we'd had two, the two A3. We had obviously German wings and we had the, uh, the Halifax uh, runway incident. We'd had another runway incident with, with Delta and LaGuardia. We've had 370. We had the shoot down over, over uh, uh, Ukraine. Um, we had Air Asia. Just about the last, well, really the last 12 months and a few weeks. That's correct. Um, and we have been, you know, I've certainly been talking about and the reasons why air travel, even though it's expanding geometrically um, in the last uh, 20, 30 years has become so much safer. And I think it was uh, John Ostrower at the Wall Street Journal who said if we had the same accident rate we had in the 70s, we'd be crashing something somewhere on the planet about every 41 hours. Um, put this into context. I mean, if I say eight planes were crashed as a result of suicide or apparent suicide, in, in one case it almost did, Put this against the back background of just how many flights just in the United States we have every day. Well, there are literally tens of thousands of flights every day in the United States. And between the United States and Canada, they account for roughly 60% of all the airline flights in the world. And yet, if you separate, let's say, the large-scale uh, airline uh, countries, uh, U.S., Canada, Australia, Britain, France, etc., Look at their collective flights, which would be well over two-thirds, well over three-quarters even, of all the flights. Three-quarters of all the big-time accidents and big-time crashes are not happening in those countries. They're happening elsewhere. This isn't necessarily saying that the pilots in those other airlines are bad, but there's a whole sequence of layers that we have in this country and other advanced aviation countries that keeps the accident rate low. It's not only the, the aircraft and the training. It's also the infrastructure. For example, if you have an emergency over the United States and you have to make an emergency landing, there are hundreds of airfields that are capable of taking a large jetliner, whereas in some parts of the world, there may be only a handful or zero. So even from that simple perspective, things that happen in the U.S. have less of an opportunity to turn into disaster. Um, when you... When you but you, in your job, as it has been for many decades now, through airsafe.com, you go to fear of flying. You go to those kinds of issues. Do you have a um, – what kind of feedback have you gotten through your, um, your email feeds, your Twitter feeds, your, your, your social media responses? Does this freak people out or most people taking this in the context well, I can't speak to whether it freaks people out, but I can speak to people's behavior. And one of the clearest uh, the indirect methods I have for judging the public's perception and public's uh, sentiment, sentiment about events is looking at actual traffic and where it goes. Uh, for instance, as you would expect, the amount of traffic that happened the day of the German wings crash was huge compared to my normal traffic, maybe nine times the amount, roughly 75,000 unique visits. 
And I said to myself, gosh, how does that compare to the last very, very big event that happened, which was MH370? And literally, MH370 had roughly a quarter of the maximum day traffic of the German Wings event. Now, I recall MH370, you recall MH370. Like the German Wings event, this was wall-to-wall media coverage. The entire world knew about it instantly. And the entire world was riveted for days about uh, that event, like they are with German Wings. Yet and still, in my little corner of the internet, the traffic was over four times bigger for the German Wings. So what does that say to me? People may be uh, concerned, but more people actively go out and search for information when it occurs, let's say, in Germany or the U.S. versus when it occurs in Asia. This is a very different situation because obviously MH370 is still a mystery. And it took a while to unfold. First, we just had a missing plane. Then it was days. They were looking for it. And then finally, the the, uh, Malaysian government said, well, it looks like it turned left and went this way. And then yada, yada, yada. Uh, We know right away, not day one, but day, what was it, two or three on German wings that this was a murder. This was not an accident. Um, is that, were you just talking day one? That's I correct. Guess? I was just talking on day one uh, responses. And, and oddly enough, on the day when the announcement came, I didn't see uh, a big up, uptick in actual traffic. Uh, side note on the, the day that it was announced that he was suspected to have flown it into the uh, ground, I was literally flying in an A320, looking at the news feed on my iPhone, when I saw this uh, notice that this uh, pilot apparently flew it in. So I spent most of the rest of the flight from row three staring at the cockpit door wondering, is there any way that I could get, get around this door in five minutes or less? And instead of enjoying my flight, I was sort of like a little gerbil in the head running around trying to think this through, and I frankly couldn't figure out a way around it. So uh, this leads to another point I have. The rate of events have been going down for certain. And what was uh, what you were quoting earlier was was correct. If the rates of the 70s happened today, there would be a major crash once or twice a week. What has also changed exponentially is the world's ability to find out about such things. Like I said in that little story, I was flying in an airplane getting a live news feed about another airplane crash. Ten years ago, you couldn't get any live news anywhere on an airplane. Now you can. Ten years ago, You didn't have everyone carrying, essentially, a full video studio in their pocket. Now you do. You see things, including a recent report I saw that there might be a video from inside the cabin of German Wings. You're seeing things and registering things and getting emotionally involved in things that simply weren't there 10 or 15 years ago. So getting back to your earlier question about the public's concern, the public has far more opportunity to be aware of these things and to keep these things in the forefront of their mind. You mentioned over the last, essentially, 13 months, there are several major events that happen. Each one of these, or as close as a Google search, in order to get one's mind engaged in it. So even though I can make, as a statistician, an argument that the rate of events have gone down, and gone down exponentially, the ability of the average person to be aware of these things has gone up exponentially. The um, Let me wrap it up this way, which is, and this kind of goes to the two-cockpit rule and some of that, but as we have looked at various crashes, if you take Flight 261, Alaska Airlines, you were here that for that. It was a, a jack screw. It was a single 
non-redundant load path type situation. But this was a device that had flown since 1967, and this is the first one that really gave out in flight. Um, since then, we have had, we, 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 maybe with the exception of these snowy runway incidents, we've pretty much eliminated CFIT. Uh, we've eliminated the, a lot of the low-hanging fruit. So when we do have these accidents, they tend to be one-offs. Certainly MH370 is one-off because nobody can find it. We've had a shoot-down, which is probably another thing. If you stay out of a war zone, you're going to increase your odds of survival. But a lot of them have been one-offs. This one is one of eight, um, but it's pretty rare. So as the authorities sit down, and I would presumably they're just going to find more evidence that they're going to point to this guy, more evidence that's going to point to um, uh, having to do a better job of screening pilots, etc., how do we get to this to prevent this from happening again? Because the, the, the industry bends over backwards, the authorities bend over backwards. Look what, what we went through in the grounding of 787 batteries to make sure we don't have another cuckoo in the cockpit. Well, the thing, the analogy I'd like to bring to, to bear here is another issue that wasn't a human issue, but a, uh, a weather issue. Wind shear became something of uh, a concern in part after it happened several times in the U.S. Wind shear had been happening around the world, had been happening for a long time. But it took a, a handful of very, very prominent events before the FAA and the industry said, you know what, this is a problem, we're going to take care of it. I believe that in the case of a pilot doing a deliberate action, this is a similar situation. It clearly has happened before around the world. But until recently, it didn't happen with the result of a crash in a place where the media really cared about it until recently. And I hate to put uh, you know, a too coarse a point on, point on it, but if it happens out of sight and out of mind, the FAA, the ICAO, and the other major regulatory bodies are not going to take action. Now they're going to take action. And I think this, unfortunately, was a catalyst to really look hard at the question of what are the procedures we have in place to vet pilots, to qualify them medically, as well as the procedures we have had, presumably, to prevent outsiders from commandeering the airplane, while at the same time not considering what about insiders commandeering the airplane. Can you get to it? I'm going to be talking to a psychologist today who's also done work with airlines, um, Jim Singer, and, and this is something airlines have looked at before, but how do you, I mean, you got guys that are clearly mentally ill, but then you can have other people, you know, in the, in the FedEx case, he was on his way to meet with his boss, who was probably going to pull the plug on his career. So a week before, this guy may have been perfectly sane now because he's, you know, I mean, whether it was this or his wife divorces him or he's got gambling de debts, there could be all sorts of late inputs. How do we assure, how do we fix this? And you may not have an answer. I guess what I'm looking at is when the authorities take it, which you think they will, and the airlines take it, even if the manufacturers get involved. What are the kinds of things we're going to be talking about at the hearings and other things that are going to follow this? Well, like you said, there are several elements that could figure into someone not being fit to fly. And when the requisite authorities and organizations sit down, that should be on the table. For example, you can have someone perfectly okay, perfectly healthy to fly now, but years from now, because of the course of life events that most people go through, you could have a period where a person is extremely stressed out. 
their job might be in jeopardy, the company may have been sold, and their pension suddenly goes away, uh, they have a divorce, and they have an unexpected child, and this all happened in the same week. Now, normally, we would look at this and say, that person's under stress. But right now, if a person's under stress and is a pilot, those sorts of stresses aren't measured. There's no one coming up with a a gauge of, hey, is this pilot overly stressed this week, and should this person not be flying? Uh, that sort of thing isn't even hasn't even been discussed yet. But certainly, this is a reality we're talking about. In the German wing's case, there was a clear uh, potential reason for him to behave that way. For most other pilots, including the FedEx case you talked about, the reasons aren't so clear. And unfortunately, the reasons can be quite common amongst pilots. While Glenn Farley and I spoke for nearly 15 minutes, only a small part of our conversation ended up in his final report. The report also features King TV anchor Dennis Bounds. ...is ultimately found to have murdered a plane load of people. His won't be the first case of pilot suicide. King 5 Aviation Specialist Glenn Farley is following this part of the story. Well, Dennis, this is a tough issue. Usually when we're talking about a plane crash, we're looking at anything from mechanical failure to a human mistake. But something intentional, that's something different altogether. The FAA says there are 7,000 flights in the air over just the U.S. at any given moment. So what are the odds that a suicidal pilot will be at the controls of your flight? The answer? Extremely small. Super tiny. Still, the German wings crash has put tremendous focus onto the issue of mental health in the cockpit. I was going on my own uh, vague memory, and I thought, gee, I think there were like three or four of these since uh, 80. On the website airsafe.com, former Seattle-based aviation engineer and safety analyst Todd Curtis combed through his extensive crash database. He wasn't far off. It was eight, including an unsuccessful attempt aboard a FedEx DC-10 freighter in 1994, which also addressed the issue of premeditation. He was basically a passenger with three crew members to overtake rather than two. It does exist. It will continue to exist, and it's something that we have to do something about. Dan Singer is a licensed family therapist who's worked with several airlines evaluating flight crew members who are having issues. When they get sent to us, there's a reason why they were sent to us. Even though airlines don't perform routine psychological evaluations once a pilot is hired, Singer says the system of reporting troubled pilots and even flight attendants up the chain of command appears to be working in the U.S. These things can't be held in secret. There has to be laws put in place to be able to inform others as to what's going on. Singer says suicide is hard for the rest of us to understand, like how Andreas Lubitz saw fit to take his own life and the lives of others. So they may take people down on an airplane with them, and the thought may be, I'm taking the world with me, and there can't be enough people on this airplane for me to take down because they want to not only destroy themselves, but a world that's causing them pain. But in the wake of German wings, Curtis fully expects the issue to be tackled by regulators. And I think this, unfortunately, was a catalyst to really look hard at the question of what are the procedures we have in place to vet pilots to qualify them medically. Now, nobody expects any easy answers here, and this is an issue that can cut both ways, just like those cockpit doors designed to keep the terrorists out, in this case, keeping an inside job in place. Live in the newsroom, Glenn Farley, King 5 News. Glenn, is this a case where a person is suicidal 
always, they're always that way, or rather that that urge is, suicidal urge is uh, more spontaneous? Well, you know, it's all of the above, according to Dr. Singer. Obviously, in the case of Andreas Lubitz, this had been going on for some time as officials come out with more and more and more details that are going back a decade or more into his history. But uh, the singer also says it can be much more spontaneous. There may be an underlying mental condition there that could be triggered by a traumatic personal event like a death in the family or somebody's spouse coming up saying that morning before they leave for their flight, I'm divorcing you. Glenn Farley, live in the newsroom. Thanks. For more information on aviation safety and security, please visit airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.